Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Specsavers Audiology PAC podcast. I'm hoping that wherever you are listening to this, it's as glorious and as sunny as it is here in Wolverhampton. Joining me for another episode and for a virtual cup of tea, which is my favourite phrase at the minute, is uh, Laura Turton. How are you, Laura? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Laura's taken some time out of her very, very, very busy day um, to have a chat with us and to give us a bit of an insight as to what she'll be presenting at conference this year, which is about two weeks, two, three weeks away now three weeks away. Um, So if you haven't registered, make sure you register for that. Um, But over to you, Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, So I've been in audiology for 20 years. And over that time, I've worked for the NHS, I've worked for Hearing Link, and I've worked for the British Society of Audiology. Um, And a mix of all of those things. Um, I've retained seeing patients all the way through. Um, uh, My clinical specialties are in tinnitus and hyperacusis and with severe to profound hearing loss. Um, And I'm a bit of an audiology geek, so I tend to get involved in quite a lot of stuff if it's offered to me. There's nothing wrong with being an audiology geek. And I think from you saying that you did some work with uh, the BSA, am I right in saying that your name is still an author on some of our policies and procedures that we use? That is correct. And I'm still involved in that kind of thing. So I'm just going to be working with a group of other authors on the update for the ULL um, procedure. That's something that I was asked to do last week. Um, So, yeah, I I like um, producing guidance. I think it's really helpful both as a manager and as an audiologist. Oh, wow. So um, effectively, I feel like I'm speaking to a bit of a celebrity. No. Um, (laughs) No? No. No. Okay. well, I tried. I tried. Um, So obviously you've confessed yourself as an audiology geek. How did you get into audiology? So this is where I feel really old. Um, And when I talk to my team. There's as old as on this podcast, I assure you. Okay. well, I got into it because I wanted to do something in healthcare and in the local newspaper there was an advert for a trainee audiologist and I applied for it and I uh, qualified a couple of years before they brought out the BSc so I was grandfather claused in and then when I was seeing lots of students and I was supervising them I thought it might be a good idea to do a master's so at that point I then did a master's but up to that point it was a bit old school. So only Laura will have seen my pure glee, the pure glee on my face when she told me that she answered a newspaper ad. Because when I was a student and doing my placement year, um, one of my favourite questions to ask uh, in between patients to whoever supervising me was, how did you get into audiology? And the amount of people that responded to me with, oh, I just saw an advert in the newspaper. Uh, And to think that would never happen now. Yeah, Um, I know. so, So you're definitely not old. It just... I just wish that whoever's listening to this would have seen the glee on my face when you said that. Um, so obviously you wanted to do healthcare, you answered this ad, you and then you joined the wonderful world that is audiology. And you've never looked back? Yeah, absolutely not looked back. And, and it's the patient contact that has always kind of um, pulled me back. So even when I've worked um, at Hearing Link, I spent a lot of time talking to people who had sudden profound hearing loss Um, and then at the same time when I was at the BSA I did uh, quite a lot of clinics as a locum just to keep my hand in Um, and it's that um, connection with somebody that I really I really enjoy. Oh wow fantastic so 
linking on to that connection um, that you were talking about, what will you be presenting to our delegates this year at conference? So I am going to be talking about rethinking the social history. Um, this is it's really not rocket science. It's not this kind of brand new concept or anything like that. But it's thinking about um, how you can really get to know your patients um, and then what impact that has on um further down the line with them uh, and it's about using your time efficiently so I know a lot of people will say I just don't have the time uh, there's lots of barriers to everything that you're saying yes in an ideal world I'd really like to be able to sit and chat to my patients or my clients more but actually I don't have that uh, and it's just about reframing that a little bit because actually particularly for patients who come back again and again and again quite yeah. often if you've got that foundational understanding then you you're stopping them from coming back again and again because you've dug deep quite early on and therefore um, they often do better um, in terms of their outcomes they do better in their satisfaction they're in they are pleased that you're interested in them uh, and you know I I love person-centered care I think that um, for me I'm one of those people that if you took away person-centered care I wouldn't be interested in audiology anymore yeah. um, and so the hope of the presentation really is just to challenge people a little bit and you know my team my team in fact had to watch it the other day because I was going since since Covid I feel like we've just skipped this a little bit so can we just refresh it um, and we went through it again together as a team to say this is the importance this is why we're trying to push it does everybody agree with that? I think it's fantastic really and I know last year at, um, at PAC we had um, we had the IDA Institute come in and talk to us about person-centred care and I'm a big advocate for it. I did the training with the, the British Academy of Audiology um, when they did that last year and I, th I think it's a really important part of our job as an audiologist um, and I think it's really important that when you say that you trained your when you spoke to your team sorry again about you know rethinking that social history because as clinicians we will always think or we will always feel we're doing the best for our patients we'll always feel like you know we're doing that we're at the top of our game but actually sometimes it's just the fact that we've come a little we've become a little bit complacent and hearing an outsider's opinion or a, a peer's opinion on maybe we could include this or maybe we could include that on our social history will just get us thinking a little bit more about what we're doing in the clinic room and I think with the the agenda we've got together this year a lot of it is about what can we implement into the clinic room the next day or the following week and I think this this topic will be a real eye-opener not just for our qualified HADs but as I always go back to it to our trainees so our trainee hear care assistants or our trainee HADs I think it will really get them in, it will really get them involved in how they speak to the how they speak to the, the client the patient the customer however you want to deem them I really do think it will allow them to engage in a better way. Absolutely and it's um like I said earlier, it's not about increasing lots and lots of stuff. It's not about suddenly adding to your consultation and making it so that it doubles in time. It's about yeah. choosing those priceless things that just open it up for you. And there's a lot of people who I've um, spoken to and in their appointments, I'm I know there's something else going on and I'm not really sure what it is and actually it's sometimes just being able to kind of open that up where you go oh oh we were talking on two completely different agendas here yeah um, and I think that's really important yeah it's just knowing what sort of things that what sort of questions you can ask or what phrases might be able to help open up um, a different topic of conversation that you know is just simmering there but you don't know how to how to how quite to get to that point if that makes sense 
Yeah, and I think we're very good and comfortable with um, the medical questions. I think we're very good at being able to say, have you got any family history and all of that kind of thing. And actually, that is still really important. I'm not um, uh, saying that we should be getting rid of those. But I also think that sometimes I've sat and done peer reviews and I've watched students where I've gone, but do we really know anything about the person that we've just seen? And yeah. it and sometimes it just feels very conveyor belt like and it probably doesn't to the patient or the client because they've never had anything like this before um but you know you've only got to watch like three fittings back to back to know whether you can do person-centered care or not and if you can do three completely different appointments based on the needs of that patient then you know that's what you're delivering I think it sounds fantastic and I definitely think it's something that will that will get our clinicians thinking about what they do in their own practice and for those supervisors it will get them thinking about how they can help support students and trainees and you know I'm a big advocate of things like that I think we can always try and make sure that we work to the best of our game and try and make sure that we're always excelling as much as we possibly can. Um, you've already touched on the hot topic that's uh, that's floating around at the minute which is uh, COVID. Um, so as, a, as an audiologist in the NHS what sort of challenges have you faced with COVID and sort of how have you overcome those challenges? Um, there's a lot. I'm trying to pick some <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, so obviously the fact that we went to the bare basics um, of what people needed um, and what we had to support in terms of emergency care and things like that. I think that it's been interesting and this is clearly a national NHS thing that I've seen through some of the um, uh, social media of uh, BAA and BSA and things like that about that, you know, we're clearly not emergencies and therefore um, yeah. uh, audiology agenda isn't necessarily the top of what people um, uh, are having to think about at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the biggest things is the whole um, wearing masks and deaf awareness. I mean, we have a... Um, hatch as our reception at the moment and mm -hmm. they've covered that in perspex with a small little gap at the bottom so that we can pass things to and from i have normal hearing and i can't hear our patients so we're having to get a new amplification system installed so that we can hear and they can hear us better they're doing better at the moment because they're on the loop system but we can't hear them um, yeah. so that's impacting on our customer service uh, in terms of masks in terms of visors um, in terms of what our trust will and won't let us do and what we want to do in terms of uh, being able to communicate with people uh, the struggle for severe to profound patients um, all of that has been really challenging and then we opened up to see patients again from July onwards I think it's about halfway through July and um, and it's managing then the backlog of patients who we've put on hold at the same time our ear nose and throat referrals didn't stop because they all just went to virtual so we then had all of those to fit in and then we've got all of the fact that the GPs are referring so we've just managed to clear our backlog here um, and now we're starting to get on a bit of a steadier keel um, and then on top of that they're potentially wanting to change our department and move us somewhere else I had a meeting today that said that wouldn't be until 2021 now which is great because they were talking about before Christmas um, and we are I Equips accredited here and we've got our next accreditation at the end of November. So, so it's all it's all it's all full steam ahead for you then by the sound it of is, it. It is. I've never had to juggle as much as we're juggling at the moment. Um and it's very strange because at the same time, because all our patients are staggered, it doesn't feel busy out there, but yeah. actually it is. It's just it's all being done in a very different way. And I think that's that 
that's something that unless you're within the profession of audiology people don't really don't truly understand like you say audiology was sort of put on a bit of a back burner when when covid when covid started when covid happened which in some respects you know is understandable that there was a need for other other elements of the of the healthcare system to be at the forefront um but i think unless you're within the audiology sector you won't actually know what's what's truly happening behind the scenes and from what you've said you know there's been a lot of challenges that you face and some of those are quite common across across the whole country or across the whole world really which is that communication with people who are hard of hearing and and like you said and I know that I've had that same challenge when you can't hear what somebody is saying even though you've got normal hearing um and and that if we're struggling I can only imagine how difficult it would be Mm. um for those patients that have a hearing loss or you know that have a hearing loss but aren't particularly aware of the fact that they have a hearing loss um so it's it's a difficult time for a lot of people but it's definitely interesting to see how as an NHS department you've had some of these challenges and what you've done to overcome that where do you see the the field of audiology progressing to because there's a lot of talk about remote care and remote fine tuning and virtual appointments I know my doctor's surgery are still doing very much virtual appointments they're not letting hardly anyone come into the uh, the surgery where do you where do you foresee audiology going within the next few years so I think it was probably going this way anyway, but I think that it will go virtual, uh, you know, just as uh, suddenly um, Amazon is doing significantly better than they maybe predicted for 2020, but they maybe had forecast where people were going for 2025. I think it's just put us on a bit of a fast track yeah. um, and there's been a lot of learning here. So we do virtual by phone and we do virtual on Teams. Um, we're um, just about to start getting hearing aids in where we can fine tune um, virtually and we're working with a couple of manufacturers around um, which we're going to try um, and uh, I mean Duet Swanipole from South Africa does um, lots and lots of conversations about low touch no touch audiology um, yeah. and uh, he's I've seen some really excellent stuff that he's producing. Now, they've obviously been doing it in South Africa for ages because for them, they just don't have enough audiologists to the amount of the population. Yeah. Um, and when I was at BSA, um, we uh, were in contact with um, a audiologist in Australia who did vestibular rehabilitation all online. So I think it's just what works, what's more convenient. I think it's actually will be better for the patients and the clients because you can fit it in at home. You can you know, nip to your study and go and have this consultation and not have had to worry about the travel, the car parking fees, all of that kind of thing. And there will still be the need for some of that. But I think what it does do and why I think the presentation that I'm doing is particularly important at the moment is COVID has given us a ton of barriers and those barriers will impact on person-centred care. So if you have to be at a distance if you have to have your face covered and therefore it's taking away your facial expression if you are not allowed to touch that person you know if I have a patient who's particularly upset all I can do now is pretty much lean right across the room pass them a tissue and lean back again and that's it Um, and you know generally in audiology we tend to like the soft skills and we tend to want to be involved in that and and COVID is not going to make that easy. Neither is virtual to a certain extent, because for the most part, you only kind of get this top part of your body that can be seen. And, you know, general body language is going to be harder to interpret. But I do think that there are pros and cons to it. And I do think that it will move us along. And I I think all it's done is fast tracked a lot of that for us, as opposed to taking us on a completely different journey that maybe we would have never gone on otherwise. 
Yeah, I guess, I, and I, I definitely agree with the fact that, you know, I I myself did see audiology moving to a more virtual remote care type of type of profession, not wholeheartedly, not completely, but there would have been some element of it. And I definitely agree with the fact that COVID has essentially just fast tracked that. Um, and I think there's there was a lot of worry or I know that in the past I've spoken to to peers and there was a lot of worry about, you know, well, look at the look at the demographic of people that we see. Are they going to be able to cope with using the computer or, you know, and actually I think we um, we underestimate their skill because actually they're doing really, really well. Um, and I think it's just a case of it's it's more of a fear factor. You know, what's going to happen, one, to our job role if everything moves online, but two, to that person-centered that empathetic side of you know the soft skills side of our profession if we're doing everything through a screen but I still think that whatever happens moving forward there will still be a place for that you know that face-to-face interaction. Absolutely we've divided up um, ours now feels like our virtual and our telephone is quite soft skill and our face-to-face isn't because it's quick in and out for procedures and uh, we've already said that when we're in a position where we can merge those back together we would want to do that still offering some of that virtually um, for those people who want it but actually for the people who want it face-to-face it it kind of makes that a smoother progression and I think that we are uh, you're absolutely right about um, uh, predicting with patients um, whether they'll be okay with technology or not. I mean, when we went to um, hearing aids you could use with your iPhone, there was loads of conversation about demographics. And actually, my best patient by far was a 79-year-old who we trialled it with, whose daughter every week would just teach us something new. They went out and bought her an iPhone 8, which was brand new at the time. uh, And she did fantastically well. And then actually, she came in and started teaching some of our other patients how to use it properly because she was so good at it. Um, And we've been in this period of time where for families to connect they've had to do it online and so I think that people are more ready for it not everybody is I mean I've been quite surprised with our tinnitus patients who are generally a a lower age demographic how many of them still just want the phone no just ring me I I don't want to go on teams I'm fine and you think oh I could do so much more if I could see it yes and quite a visual person so I can't tell you who my patient is by name a lot of the time I don't remember their name from appointment to appointment but I could go out to reception and as I shout their name I'll look directly at them because I know it's them and so moving to the phone has brought a barrier for me because I don't know what they look like and uh, I can't link to them as well as I used to be able to by doing face to face. Yeah, I get that completely. And I think it it's definitely interesting. And I do think we have massively or we do in some respects underestimate what the older demographic of people can do. Um, and like you say, during this whole lockdown period, they're the, they're the people or they're the majority of the people that have had to shield. So they've been away from their loved ones and their families and friends for a longer period of time. Um, and I think that it's really taught them something new to be able to communicate with with people through different mediums, through different forms. Um, so I think your topic that you're going to be talking to us about really links in nicely with what you've spoken to us about today on the podcast, because it means, you know, we're looking at things from a COVID world. We're looking at things progressing in the next few years from a technology perspective. And it just means that actually we can take things from what you're saying and try and implement them into whatever clinic we're going to do. So whether that's a remote care clinic, you know, there might be a question or might be something that you state in the in your talk that says where a clinician says, well, actually, 
that would be really good to that person that I'm going to speak to over the phone tomorrow. Um, but then at the same time, I know that there'll be things that they'll take from your talk where they'll be sitting in a clinic room face to face and we'll be able to say, actually, Laura spoke about this in that talk at PAC. I might be able to implement that. So I definitely think it's it will be interesting to to bring all those experiences together. You're a, like I say, you're a confessed audiology geek. Um, if I said to you, and I've asked this question to everyone we've had as guests on the podcast, but if I said to you, Laura, you could be anything you want, anything at all, career-wise, what would you what would you choose? What would you be, and why? Um, I think it'd have to be something to do with dogs, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> okay. Quite often, I mean, I absolutely adore audiology, but I do think if I won the lottery, what would I be doing? Um, if I, and would I stay in audiology? And I probably would still do stuff, um, yeah. and it'd probably be on a voluntary basis, and it would be that I could pick it up and put it down. Um, but. I'm a bit dog obsessed so I think if I could merge them together maybe go and uh, help like hearing dogs training yeah. hearing dogs and stuff like that that would probably be my perfect job. Oh that's fantastic so everyone I've spoken to um, up until this point uh, who has been within the healthcare profession whether they're an audiologist whether they're a healthcare trainer of some sort has stuck to some sort of job that would enable them to be a help to someone or something it's quite interesting I think you know when we're in this profession there it's when you're in this profession it's what you you're in it because you want to help and by you saying you do something to do with dogs I think well you know that's that's fantastic um I am going to ask you for one other thing and that is as an audiologist who's you know done many things in their audiology career what one piece of advice would you give to somebody who's in the field of audiology uh that when you are given an opportunity say yes um because the over the period of my career uh, it's led to a huge amount of things I had uh, one instance when my boss from a previous department asked me to go and do a talk and it was for a, a conference at a charity and it was on a Saturday and I don't think my boss really fancied working on a Saturday so uh, she asked me to go and off I went and actually I met somebody there who became my future boss in the long run and it was about wow. a year down the line but it was somebody who just contacted me and said I don't know if you want to apply for this but um, I've done an awful lot of stuff because I've been offered an awful lot of opportunity and I always say yes there's I don't think I've ever turned anything down which has always meant that it's been a bit of a juggle but yeah. it's led to some really interesting stuff because the power of not only um, being able to do kind of wider stuff but also the power of networking has meant that you know if I want to get in contact with somebody to ask them a question or to say um, you know in these weird times of Covid what can uh, what are you doing about this because we're struggling a bit with this I've yeah. got a, a lot of open doors where I can have those kind of conversations so um, through saying yes and through having this network it's kind of led to a really interesting career and you know let's be honest I'm nearly 40 but it's a long way off retirement um, that I will be able to hopefully do some other really interesting things moving forward. I think that's fantastic and I think that you know it's it's a great piece of advice and I think it would hit home with not just trainees but all HADs or all clinicians or anyone who's in a, in a, any profession really is, is when you're presented with an opportunity definitely say or try and say yes so I think I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. I do really want to say thank you for taking time out of your very busy clinic day to, to speak to me today. Um, we do really appreciate it. And I really do hope that 
the people that are listening will have it will have whet their appetite to come and join us um the week commencing the 5th of October um, and the following week I'm just looking at my dates now the week commencing the 5th of October and the 12th of October um for PAC um which will be online this year thank you Laura is there anything else you'd like to say to our uh, listeners before I let you go no just looking forward to uh, seeing them all online fantastic we'll see you all soon <laughs>